Greetings and welcome back to TanakhStudy.com. We study one chapter of Tanakh in each podcast. My name is Yitzhak Et Shalom and it's my honor and privilege and I am excited to be teaching Sefer Divrei Hayamim. We're now in Divrei Hayamim Bet, Perak Yodchet, in the middle of the description of the monarchy of Yehoshaphat, which takes us to somewhere around the beginning or the first third of the ninth century BCE. Uh, now, um, the beginning piece of what we read in this chapter uh, is um, is new information. Uh, however, most of the events in this chapter are fairly close replication of what we read in Malachim Aleph Perak Chaf, which uh, parenthetically is uh, in the middle of the chapters describing the activities of Elion Avi, but in that chapter Elion Avi does not make a single appearance. Uh, in any case, picking up from where we were in the previous parak and uh, attuned to that description, Yoshafat has great wealth and honor, and Vaitchaten Achav, he marries with Achav. What does that mean? So it could mean that he himself married a daughter of Achav, or um, it could mean that uh, one of his sons marries into Ahab's family. In any case, there is now a relationship between the north and the south. And now we've got to take a step back before going further uh, to to look back at the previous few generations and what has transpired since the days of Rehavam and the beginning of uh, the rule of Rehavam when the northern kingdom split away. During the first time, as I said, there was generally just a separation, although the text says, that they fought the whole time, but there's no real record of any battles. There's just a separation. Uh, when Baasha, the next dynasty, takes over, there are actual battles between Baasha and Asa, and we see the border shifting north and south during <coughs> those battles. Um, Yoshafat is able to not only get to a point of uh, of peace and accommodation, but Yoshafat really takes the first steps towards an, att- <laughs> an att- attempted <coughs> reconciliation with the north. Uh, it's a step that will later be taken in a very different manner by Chizkiyahu, but Yehoshaphat, who we do regard generally as one of the righteous kings, uh, does make this attempt, and of course the best way for that to happen is through marriage. Marriage was, uh, especially royal marriages through the ancient world, were um, almost always uh, diplomatically motivated, not romantically motivated. Think about Shlomo's marriage with Bat Paro as an example. And here he marries into Achav's family. Now Achav, who we don't hear about otherwise in Divrayamim, because Divrayamim is Divrayamim of Beit David, essentially. Uh, Achav is the son of Omri, who is the third dynasty in the north. Uh, and Omri, who moved the capital to uh, from Tirzah to Shomron, who bought the, ha- the mountain from Shemer and renamed it Shomron. And that's where the capital remained uh, for Yisrael. Uh, and Achav is, of course, got the infamous wife, perhaps the most wicked woman in history, as we hear about her, Izevel. In any case, Achav, who has publicly instituted Avodah Zarah uh, as a state mandate and has persecuted the Nevi'im, uh, here is connecting to the king of Yehuda through marriage. And now, Vayered Lekets Shanim El Achav Shomron. 
And so Yehoshaphat then went after a certain amount of time to visit Achav. So Achav slaughtered all of these animals for Yehoshaphat and for his entourage. And he seduced him, as it were, to come up to Ramot Gilad. Ramot Gilad being on the east bank, a high places just below the Golan, uh, because Ramot Gilad was contested territory throughout the period of the northern kingdom, where Aram had it, then Yisrael had it, and back and forth. Vayomer Achav Melech Yisrael El Yehoshaphat Melech Yehuda Hatalech Imi Ramot Gilad So Achav then says, and we hear it, Melech Yisrael, Melech Yehuda, will you come with me to Ramot Gilad? Meaning, will you come and fight with me for Ramot Gilad? And this is an amazing turnaround if you think about the previous generation when um, the northern king Baasha had a breach, a covenant with Aram, with the Syrians, against Yehuda, and then Yehuda bribed Ben-Hadad, the king of the Syrians, to reject uh, his breach and to attack the north. Here, the south and the north are uniting against Aram. Vayomerlo, and what's his answer? Kamoni chamocha uche'amcha ami v'imcha b'milchama. I am like you, your nation or your army is my army, and I'm with you in war. Essentially means we're in this together. And not only we're in this together, but the last two words which do not appear in Malachim are imchab and melchama means I'm going to go with you into war. However, Yehoshaphat, being a righteous king, says to Melech Yisrael, before we go to war, we've got to seek out the word of God. Should we go to war? <clears throat> is this a proper thing to do? Or are we going to be successful? What? So what did the king do? Now, Ahav, on his own, very likely would say, I'm going to seek out Nevi'eh uh, Baal Zavul. But in the meantime, to appease Yehoshaphat, the question is, who are these Nevi'im? Are these Nevi'im truly Nevi'im of Hashem? Uh, are these Nevi'eh Habal? Are these just uh, stooges that uh, you know, that Achav has gotten? A little unclear, but to call them Nevi'eh Hashem is going to be very difficult in light of what happens later on. The fact that there's 400 of them also is a little bit suspicious, considering that was roughly the number, uh, or according to one version, the number of Nevi'eh Habal that we met at Hara Karmel, of course, but that is in the past. And so he says to the Nevi'im, Shall we go to Ramot Gilad to war, or shall we back off? And they all said together, Go on up, the Yitain Ha'eluhim B'yad HaMelech, and God will hand them over, the enemy, the, over to you. Now, this is, of course, very tricky, because on the one hand, you want to get God's imprimatur and, and support for this war. On the other hand, the fact that all 400 of them quickly give this answer makes a little suspicious. And of course, whenever you have court prophets, you have that problem of the court prophet looking out for his own skin, looking to tell the king what the king wants to hear, and not necessarily telling him what God is really instructing, if the prophet is a real prophet at all. Now, Yehoshaphat is there, and Yehoshaphat smells a rat, and that this entire 400 men answering this way is just put on for his for his benefit. And notice the way Yehoshaphat says it. Is there no other prophet to Hashem? But the implication here is perhaps, is there no real prophet to Hashem? Let's seek it out from him. Meaning, don't you have a legitimate prophet who's not going to just tell tell you what you want to hear? And and Ahav 
acknowledges this. He doesn't deny it and say, no, these guys are the real deal. There is one guy, one man, to that we could seek God through him. I hate him. Why? He never says anything nice. He always has prophecy that's bad, meaning negative and disparaging. Who Michayu ben Yimla? What's his name? Michayu ben Yimla. Vayomer Yehoshaphat al Yomar Melech Ken. Yehoshaphat says, "Don't say that about him." Now, what does that mean? It means that Achav is essentially presenting Michayu as a false prophet, who is nonetheless recognized as some sort of a navi. So he has to uh, to acknowledge him and consult him. But everything he says is against me, which means he's also got an agenda, and it's not Dvar Hashem. And Yehoshaphat says, "Don't say that about him." Now, does that mean that Yoshafat recognizes the other four guys are stooges, and this must be the real guy? Or does it mean that Yoshafat recognizes that a king has to be able to listen to prophecy that's not positive? Unclear, but either way, Yoshafat insists that they hear from this last prophet. He calls one of his advisors, Go quickly, bring him. So this description sounds quite royal. The king of Israel, whose name is omitted here, and Yehoshaphat Melech Yehuda are sitting, each one on his chair, we'll assume it to be a fancy chair, dressed in their clothes. Well, of course they're dressed in their clothes. It sounds like they're dressed in royal clothes. Yoshvim Begorin, but they're sitting at a granary. Petach Shar Shomron at the gates of Sharon, which means they're sitting in something like the government offices, which are at the gate of the city, and they're right at a Goran. And all the prophets are giving prophecy before them. Does this mean that Ahab hasn't yet built a palace in Shomron, or that because of all these Nevim there wasn't room for them in the palace, or is there something symbolic about the Goran? that being outside allows the Nevi'im to have Nevu'ah. In any case, important to note that from the middle of Sefer Shmuel all the way through Sefer Malachim, we find Nevi'im as groups having prophecy, and that doesn't necessarily mean prophecy of a message to give to a king or to an aristocrat, but rather, or to the group or the Kohanim, but rather that they're having a rapturous experience. And the, these Nevi'im are 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 connecting with God and being imbued with the Spirit of God. And uh and now part of that act is the following. Part of that event is the following. So Kanana is evidently one, if not the head of these this group of Navim, and he makes horns out of iron. And he says, This is what Hashem says you're going to use these to gore Aram, to gore Syria until they are destroyed. This pasuk in its version in Malachim is parenthetically used in a very famous passage in the beginning of Bava to prove that Negichas uh, with a Karen. But in any case, you're going to use these, and this is an example of something that we find throughout the Nevi'im. We find it in the beginning of Hosea, we find it uh, with your Miyahu and Perak Yod Gimel, we find it with almost all of the Nevi'im doing something it's rife throughout Yechezkel, doing symbolic acts where the act is there to symbolize the content of the prophecy. And so Tzitkiah is taking a page from that and saying, here, here's the horns that Hashem has said you're going to use to gore Aram until they're destroyed. And all the other prophets are basically giving the same message. Go up to Ramot Gilad and be successful. And God will hand them over to the king. 
In the meantime, we're waiting to hear from the last prophet. So the messenger, who was a Saris before, now he's a Malach, but a messenger, who went to summon Micha, or Michaihu, said to him the following, Everybody else is saying one thing, a common thing, all good news for the king. So you should join them and say the same thing and say good things. Michaihu's response is, By God's life, that's an oath. Whatever God says, I'm going to say. This echo, this echoes for us, uh, perhaps one of the strangest prophets that we ever met, which is Bil'am. And now he comes to the king. So the king asks him this question. It's a formal question. Shall we go or shall we back off? And Micha essentially, Micha essentially says what all the other prophets are saying. Go up, you'll be successful, they'll be handed over to you. The king somehow wasn't satisfied with that. Because, How long do I have to forswear you, to administer an oath to you? That I just want to hear the truth. In other words, Achav, and it looks like he's putting on a show for Yehoshaphat here, is trying to cut to the truth and somehow senses that Michayu is doesn't really have his heart in it. And all he's doing is repeating what the other Nevim are saying and isn't really giving prophecy. So, you call me on the bluff, I'm going to go for it. And now he gives the real prophecy. I I see, I vi- have a vision of all of Am Yisrael spread out over the, all the mountains, like a flock without sheep. And God says they don't have any masters. They should go back home in peace. In other words, what I see is a dispersed army all over the place with no leader. In other words, the king is going to die. So now, Achav turns to Yoshafat. And again, Achav's name is, is being erased here. He turns to Yoshafat. I told you he wouldn't say nice things about me. He would say bad things. And again, his accusation is that Michayu is not giving real prophecy, but rather prophecy that is made up and that is suiting his agenda, which is to be against Achav. And Vayomer, and now Michayu speaks with the full force. Lachen Okay, listen to the real word of Hashem. Ra'iti I saw Hashem sitting on his throne. It sounds like Yeshayahu Vav. And all of the, the heavenly hosts are standing on his right and on his left. It's the heavenly retinue. God said, Who can seduce Achav, the king of Israel? And that he should go up and die, fall in battle at Ramot Gilad. Which means, basically, what Michael was saying is, Achav, you're going to die, and God is seducing you in, into this. And I'll show you how he's doing it. This Malach has that suggestion, and this Malach has that suggestion. And now this is a play on words that translations will obviously lose. The spirit, or the wind, comes out. It stands in front of God. I'll seduce him. How will you seduce him, God says, to the spirit, to the wind. I will be a false spirit in the mouth of their prophets, meaning, in his prophets. Meaning, the word ruach, which here means wind, now becomes the other meaning of ruach, which is spirit. It says, I'm going to be a false spirit in the mouth of their prophets. It means, I'm going to go, and their prophets are going to use me 
to lie to the king. And God said, go ahead, seduce them, you'll be successful. Go ahead and do it. Which means now, all these prophets who are telling you this, they're all liars, and they're all being seduced by God to say this lie to you, so that you're going to die on, on remote Gilad. And then he says, that's exactly what's happened. And in the meantime, God's decision about you is for the bad. You're going to die. So now we have a standoff. One Navi who's been summoned saying that this war is a bad idea and it's God's way of seducing you to get you into battle to kill you. And all the other prophets saying, no, you'll be successful and it's fine, which means, of course, each calling the other a liar. The one who had made those horns, he slaps him in the face or punches him in the face. Since when did God's spirit leave me to speak through you, or speak to you. In other words, I'm the one with God's Spirit. Everybody knows that I'm the chief Navi around here. And if what you're saying is true, then that means God's Spirit has left me, and I'm left with nothing but this Ruach Sheker. Since when is that the case? And so Michayu says, you'll see on that day. You're going to be going from room to room to hide. In other words, we're going to lose this war, and we're going to be running. So, So, um, uh, and something that we will see later replicated with Yirmiyahu, the king says to Micha, uh, says to, says, take Michayu and bring him back to Amon, who is sort of the governor of the city of Shomron, and to my son who is the crown prince. And tell them that this is what the king says, not Kwamar Hashem, Kwamar Put this one into prison. Give him stiff bread and a little bit of water. Until I come back in peace. Right? And then we'll see what happens. And of course, if I come back in peace, he's a false prophet and he dies. And Micha's answer is, you're not coming back in peace. Because if you do come back in peace, then God didn't speak with me. Which of course means you you won't you will not make it back. And then Michayu turns to everybody and says, "Everybody should listen. I'm testifying. He will not make it back alive." All right. So he goes to prison. Now they go to war, and we all know what's going to happen here because we know who the real navi is. Now the language here is a little bit difficult. It sounds like, and again, his name is not here. It's Melech Israel, and Yoshafat is not called Melech Yudah. He's just Yehoshaphat. Important to note that the name Yehoshaphat means God judges, which is critical in this whole scenario. So Melech Israel turns to Yoshafat and says, meaning etchapes. I will uh, disguise myself and come into war. You can wear your regular clothes. They won't recognize you. Me, they'll recognize, so I'm going to try to go in cognito. They both go to war, and the Anachav is dressed in other clothes. And uh, in the meantime, the king of Aram commanded his charioters to say... Um, don't fight with any minor officers or even major officers. I just want you to go after Ahav. When they saw Yehoshaphat, dressed in royal robes, and they thought, oh, this is Melech Yisrael. 
Which, by the way, in a, for a moment, makes us think that this entire episode of joining uh, ranks with Yehoshaphat, of inviting him up, inviting him to go to Ramot Kilad, was just a ruse to get Yehoshaphat killed, while they thought Ahab would be dead and Ahab would win the war, and the element of surprise, of course, at the cost of Yehoshaphat's life. So they saw Yehoshaphat, they thought he's the king of Israel, they surrounded him to go to war, but Yoshafat yelled out, and God helped him that they listened. And God kept them from him, meaning that uh, they were about to go after him and kill him, and then they realized it wasn't Ahab, and they backed off. When they saw that it wasn't him, they went back, because there's only one target they've got, which is Ahab. So what happened? This is a different piece is going on. One of the warriors of Aram just pulled back his bow, uh, shooting an arrow, and he hit Ahav right between the, 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 the chain, the parts of the chain of armor. And he tells the driver, turn things around, get me out of the camp, because I've been hit. It ends with actually a glorious statement about Ahav, praising him quite a bit. In Malachim, it's even more stated, uh, in which, in, in spite of the fact that he's dying, he nonetheless stands up in his chariot, facing Aram all the way till the evening, meaning that if, if the king is killed, then that's the end of the war. But Ahav, even though he really is dying, and he knows he's dying, stands up as if he's not dying, and as if he's uh, continuing to fight, and they're able to win the war as a result. And he dies at sunset of that night. Um, and uh, Yoshafat is going to come back safely to his home, as we'll see in the relatively short next parak. Uh, but in the meantime, that thus ends the episode of the war in the north and this attempt which did not really succeed, but this attempt to create a reconciliation between the South and the North, uh, initiated by Yehoshaphat. In the meantime, and then we'll pick up the next podcast. Everybody should have a wonderful day.